Hey, and welcome to Dead Headspace. This is Out There Screaming Panel with Terrence Taylor. Say hello, Terrence. Hello. And I try myself to look at the camera, not the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time. And that's the best part of audio. They don't know. It's Except true. they do now. Uh, well, and Nicole Sconiers, please tell me I said that kind of good. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> you. Uh, and, of course, one of the <laughs> one of the hosts of the show, Candace Nola. Say hello, Candace. Hello. Brandon, Candace. Brandon unfortunately, I can't be I here today. He will, he'll be back next week. My name is Patrick R. McDonough. I am your other host. Today, we are talking about... Jordan Peele's edited anthology out there screaming. Uh, Nicole, we'll start with you. What was your experience like working on this anthology? It was a dream come true. I um, got notifi- notified last summer. John Joseph Adams is someone that I published with. He's a publisher. He's a co-editor of Out There Screaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I published work in Nightmare and also Lightspeed, which he has co-edited. And so he reached out last summer um, and asked me to submit. And it came at a time where I just really needed a win. <laughs> like I'm having this angst about my career as a writer. Just, uh, you know, what am I doing? And I get the email like, hey, there's this anthology um, we'd like you to submit to. So that was an amazing process. Of course, working with Jordan Peele is just vision board, <laughs> you know, um, but it, it was just, and also, you know, my, my co-authors in the anthology, it was just, just to be included with these brilliant authors um, that I've read and loved, you know, N.K. Jemison, um, Maurice Broadus, um, just, it was just a, just a spectacular experience. Candice, you want to jump in before we go to Terrence? Um, no, we'll we'll move on and then we'll come back. Terrence, how was your experience working on this anthology? Well, it's it's funny. I mean, Jim had talked to John at some point and got filled in on some of the details of uh, how the collection came together. And essentially, I think he'd reached out to like 40 writers he knew that knew their work, whether he had worked with them or not. And then I think they opened it up because evidently there were like 400 submissions. Um, So I I was impressed that I'd made it in. But when I heard how many people had sent in stories, I was doubly impressed. (laughs) And it was one of those things where, like Nicole, I also had worked, I I had um, a piece in the POC Destroy Sci-Fi. I had a story in that. I had an essay uh about in one but i i bounced in and out of uh you know his world and then for the last five years i had a review column in nightmare magazine Mm. uh called read this um right started out with a review column called read me for uh fantastic uh, fantastic stories of the imagination there's a longer title they but Warren's discontinued it for a while. And basically I talked them into letting me review the three foot stack of books that I had, that I hadn't gotten around to. Mm-hmm. So they would be not new books, but they would be readable. And I reviewed them. I did that for a year and got paid. That was fun. I got through the stack of books and then that ended the magazine ended, and John reached out and said, Hey, you want to review column for nightmare. So I basically got them to let me do two books, each column 
because I could actually talk about them in detail. It, the advantage was it made me read eight books a year that weren't research for something I'm writing. Hmm. So I actually got to catch up. And the hard thing was really, we'll talk about this a bit later, the horror market and stuff. So I knew him. He knew my work. He had evidently on a podcast talked about the first story that got published, Plaything, uh, that a friend had heard. And I have to go find that at some point and see what he had to say. But it was fun to be on his radar, you know, hmm. basically. So he had reached out and I was like... I, I had people I know, editors I know, reach out for me to submit something and not gotten in. So I knew that that was no guarantee of anything. But I really, working on it, the funny thing is, my my whole life's goal at this point is to, next time I get out to LA, which I will at the point I can drive again, I had a foot injury. But when I got to LA to visit, my goal is to like somehow get Tanana Reeve, Stephen, and, and and Jordan and his wife, who I love from um, Brooklyn 9999, and just have lunch with them. It's like, there's got to be an end to lunch with Jordan Peele in this. I've got to help them do this. You got an in now. But I have no contact with him through all of this. And it's like, but don't we get to call him up? Doesn't he get to talk to us at all? So at some point, I'm sure <laughs> we'll all meet Jordan at some point. But... The fact that I got into the anthology was amazing. When I saw the table of contents, I saw who was in it, I was doubly amazed because, like you say, I mean, it was just the most amazing group of writers. And most of them I knew. I knew their work. And it was like, this is this is going to be kick-ass. So I've been reading it. I, I went off on a trip that I had to, time to read. So I, I got through about half of it but i then read your story and chesji's chesji's just to you know make sure i knew exactly what you guys had done but it's it's just an amazing collection mm. it's to me very much an indication of where we are right now when i came back to new york in 2001 and then i'll stop and let someone else speak but i came back to new york in 2001 after 10 years in l.a basically to finish a vampire novel I've been working on since the eighties when I had the idea hmm. and I, it took me five years. I finished it. I took care of my mother who was fading rapidly. That's not that rapidly, but rapidly enough. And I found an agent who got it and who basically was like, I love the story, but I can't show this to anybody in the form it's in. So I said, I can fix that. I see what you're saying with the notes. And it was the first novel I had written. So I took a year to rewrite it from top to bottom. There are two chapters that survived virtually intact. Everything else got completely rewritten. The exact same story told much better. And when I was done, she got me two books yellow <laughs> because I realized, oh, wait, that's 1986. 20 years later, the vampire baby could be grown up and come. Spoiler alert there. And I had a one-page pitch for the second novel and they the editor... Monique Patterson bought both of them. So I had a year to clean up the first one, which it took me 20 years to write. And then I had one year to write the second one from scratch. And it was like, oh, which I managed to do. But I still, I, I've written the third one. I have to rewrite it radically. It's in terrible shape. But I have a film to cut first. So I'm going to rewrite it in the spring. And it's 20 years in the future, which is virtually where we are now only much darker though we're so much closer to my dystopian future than i'd like us to be it's hard but it's it's that's been an amazing experience so basically what i keep telling young writers is at 47 i moved back to new york to to take writing seriously within five years i had a two book deals three stories and three anthologies and i'm happier than i've ever been i'm not 
retiring off it. I still have a day job, but the writing is, oh my God, it's so satisfying. And I keep telling people, if you don't like being alone in your room, making stuff up, don't, don't do this. <laughs> the, the, the readings are a very small part. Things like this are great fun, but it's a very small part of the world that, you know, you're going to spend most of your time in a room alone, creating worlds and making up and talking to people that don't exist. The fun part is when they start talking back and tell you what they're not going to say and what they're not going to do. And I actually ran into that in the first novel and it made it even better. Anyway, so this was an amazing experience and it's a thrill. I, I'm just so thrilled and we can talk more about the second renaissance of black literature that this really represents. Absolutely. We will. We, that's in our notes. Um, Brent, uh, no, sorry, not Brennan. I know I've been doing this with him for like three <laughs> years straight. He's almost always here. I'm sorry about that. You're pretty early. I'm here. Candace. I'm here now. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry about that. I will see my ass out. So, I do have a couple of questions to go along with that. And we're going to start with Nicole because parents, um, yeah, you have a lot to say. And my next question, I think we're going to start with you because you already meant, mentioned it a little bit. So first for the two of you, did you know right up front that the antho was a Jordan Peele anthology to start with? Were you told that up front or were you asked about it, provided the concept and then told like, hey, this is. <laughs> so how did that work out? And then we'll come back to my next one. Let Nicole go first. Um, no, um, I was not told at first. It was okay. just an invitation to submit to an anthology about black horror. And I suspected just because- oh, Interesting. I just suspected, like when I saw it, you know, like would you, the invite to submit, I just in the back of my head said, I wonder if this is Jordan Peele. <laughs> and then when I later found out, like I screamed. <laughs> like I <laughs> And it's not just because it's Jordan Peele, but because when Get Out came out, yeah. like when I- the trailer for get out i knew like he had tapped into like the zeitgeist he had he was doing something fresh and innovative with horror and i wanted to be a part of that in some way yeah. um like i felt like these are the stories that i want to tell like this edgy type of social justice horror and stories mm -hmm. that i have been telling that had a social justice um, angle to it. So when I found out that he was, that it was his anthology, that he was co-editing it, I was just like full circle moment seeing Get Out and, and being so blown away by the stories that he was telling to now be a part of this anthology that celebrates, you know, the, the social justice angle not just, not all stories deal with social justice, but just the diversity of the Black experience. Like that was, so cool, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. But Karen, yeah, no, that was, you know? that was the funniest thing. Was the initial invite was like anthology, and you're gonna have to sign an NDA before we can tell you what it is. So, okay. I, huh? Okay, that makes. Oh sense. yeah, oh yeah, we all had to sign NDA. I didn't know that part. That makes. Oh sense. yeah. Oh oh. What's worse <laughs> is we had to be locked to that NDA after we got accepted and had to keep quiet. That was the worst part of that year. Was after I got, I knew I was in it and knew what it was and had to bite my tongue and not tell people. And Cam would just keep going. 
trying so hard because as soon as I said I'm not telling, he was just determined to like wheedle it through that door. And yeah. I would not tell him. And he was like, ah. But no, it was it was fascinating because it was nope, we're not telling you anything. Once we signed the NDA and heard what it was, then it was like, oh damn, this has got to be good. And I what that did though was it pushed me farther. To, to, to explore an aspect of my writing that I have, have always backed away from, which is when I started the story, and I'm not going to tell you anything about it because it's got little layers that, spoilers, I don't want to do any spoilers on people to be able to read it. But the one thing I will say is that when I realized what the story was and where it was going, I knew it, there, there was no happy ending in this story. There could be a catharsis of some kind. And I, I my big thing with horror was always, I want a catharsis at the end. I don't want to see this happen and come out feeling worse than I went. I want to feel like I can defeat the problems in my life because they beat the alien monsters from outer space. Mm -hmm. So at a certain point, I realized that there's no happy out of this. There's, there's no, this is a dark world and it's just going to stay there. And there is a little cathartic twist, which I liked, but I wrestled with that for like two weeks. I'd had a whole discussion with Stephen Barnes where we were shooting Danger Word, you know, one night because he was like, no, you have to be able to like, just do whatever you want. And I'm like, oh, I want to guarantee before I walk into that dark alley, you're not going to kill me. I at least want to know I'm going to walk out again. But it really, at the point that I said, okay, I just have to commit to writing the story and see where it goes. And if that's where it goes, that's Okay. At that point, I got an almost malicious delight in how much I could torture the reader, <laughs> how much I could just dig deep into that dark little place in my soul and write a story that left an impact. My goal was to write a story you couldn't walk away from that stuck with you afterwards. And hopefully I've done that. But um, I had one friend who read, read it, who does reviews, and she just sent me a text when I going, Terrence, you are evil. And I was like, what did I say? What did I do? I'm on the spectrum that I offend you. And she was piggyback like, no, that story. Yeah. I wanted to piggyback on what Terrence said when we got the invitation to submit that I did want to push myself in terms of, you know, yeah. doing something different than what I've written before. But I had the worst writer's block for a good five oh. months. <laughs> Like the stories do like in six months and five months and I have no story. And I just, but, but the reason why I didn't have a story is because immediately when I got the invitation, I had a story idea, but I just, I just like blew it off. Like nobody wants to, you know, hear about that. And it just, it just stuck with me and it just stuck with me. And I said, okay, it's, it's, a month away from submitting, I'm just going to sit down and write it. And in the process of writing it, then the true story will come. And mm-hmm. then I wrote it and then there was no true story. <laughs> like that was the story. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's to me like trusting, like trusting yourself, trusting, trusting the process yeah. and trusting that, you know, your world makes sense to you. You yeah. know, I was, and also that it's okay to take risks. Like it's great to take risks. Yeah. Oh so. yeah. Yeah. So you each have mentioned that it pushed you. Mm-hmm. So was it pressure or was it more of a, I got to bring my A game to this no matter what, or was it sort of like equal amounts pressure and motivation? <laughs> I, I think it was both. 
It was, yes, I want to bring my A game, you know, just because you get an invitation doesn't mean your story is going to get accepted. Right. And also I wanted to, I wanted to tell a story that was different from what I told in the past. And I often write about black and white women's relationships. I, I I write about race a lot. So this story, A Bird Sings by the Etching Tree, does deal with race, but I wanted to, I wanted to do something different with with the uh the two main characters, a black woman and a white woman. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody brought their A game. I I mean what I oh, read yeah. so far is just Definitely. like wow. Partly because it's like, oh, A, if I get into this, a lot of people are gonna see it. It better be good. Mm-hmm. And it's not gonna be good. If it's not good enough to get in, I don't worry. But if it's good enough to get in, it's gotta be good enough to do what they want, which is to really present a range of possibilities. What it actually let me do, I, I mean, I have to say that I had another story that came out in something called Canterbury Nightmares, which I did the same thing with. I just went someplace I'd never gone. Mm-hmm. And so COVID became a very good productive writing period for me because I just be locked in a room by myself, I was able to dig deep and explore myself more. But yeah, it it was just feeling that you wanted to live up to the invite and be free enough to actually do what you needed to do to do that. And Mm -hmm. we, we got there. We all found that space. But I had the same sort of thing where it was like, I don't know if this is working or not. And, and you're right. Sometimes you just have to just plow ahead mm-hmm. because I realize mm-hmm. you can always rewrite. Rewrite's mm-hmm. your best friend. And if you can get through to the ending, at least you know what the arc is. And then yeah. you can go back and refine it and, and do the little adjustments. But yeah, it, it was it was thrilling. It was a thrilling experience to write it. Absolutely. Um, having it come out is great. Did you get the pictures of the billboard in um, Manhattan? So that yeah, was, that was very cool. Too. Yeah. I'm like, oh, is it worth a trip to New York to take a selfie within the <laughs> background? I could do that with like green screen, but, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's an amazing experience. And just seeing all those people in one collection. Heaven. Because just, we didn't know at first who the table of contents, we didn't know the other authors. At yeah. First. Yeah. So just seeing the other authors, Tanana Ribdu was my mentor when, when I was pursuing my MFA Mm. Uh, Antioch University. So just seeing her in the collection, like that was, that was amazing. Oh, I loved her story. Yeah, that was great. And Nora, I mean, God, I watched Nora Jemison become N.K. Jemison. I watched it happen because I'd met her early on at KGB when she was still doing short stories and talking about the first trilogy. And then she, she like basically just dropped out because she was writing so much she's the hardest working writer i know she's mm-hmm, for sure and and i read the first trilogy and it was like yeah i'm not really into fantasy but i'll give it a shot and it was like oh my god where's the second book and i harassed her because she had not finished the third book and it was like when are you finishing the story when are you finishing the story when are you finishing the story and then she did the second trilogy that got the Hugos and reading that was an epic journey as well. So that they felt I was somehow on the same stage with her was a thrill alone because she's just, I, I it's writers I respect and whose work I love. Yeah, How can you absolutely. not love being in a collection with people that you look up to? I mean, my God. And Tanata Reeve, I have to say, I mean, she was your mentor. I, I, I met her. Because when I came back to New York, I Googled black horror writers to see if anyone else was doing this or if I was insane to write this vampire novel. Got uh, the the first novel she had done, The In-Between. The, yeah. the be- mm-hmm. and- no, My Soul to Keep, I think. Oh, well, 
That was the living. Yeah, that was the living. Now I'm second guessing myself. I thought you had it right. <laughs> no, oh, it was, maybe, maybe. Back, 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 <laughs> that was the first sheet about. I read the uh, in between first, and in her acknowledgement, she was like, "And email me," and I was like, "Sure." So I started an email correspondence that developed into like because I write as long as I talk. So we just started getting to know each other. Met her at Howard when she was teaching down there because I'd just come back from two weeks in Paris you know, a trip to Europe. And she was like, if you're not tired out, but she's been like an amazing friend, but just an inspiration. I mean, her work is, oh, I, I can't wait to read the new collection and novel. The novel is going to break my heart because um, that subject of the is, is just tragic. The reformatory is um, her coming out. Yeah. 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 It's I mean, incredible. I read Colson Whitehead's yeah. Uh, Nickel Boys and was sobbing by the end and it's like and Tanana Reeve and one other writer those are the only three writers who've actually made me cry reading a book and Tanana Reeve got me in the good house she got me with something else but but she can break it she can break yeah. that dam and it's so rare that you can read something on a page and be so emotionally affected that you actually break into tears so uh. just her her book, The Reformatory, really feels like it's something that should be taught in schools because it's it's just that impactful. Like wow. it, it, it's a big book, but like it's it's incredible. Like I, it's I, I a was, fast read though. Yeah, yeah it it's is massive, but it's a fast read. It pulls you in, and it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah, super fast read. It's tough I, to read at times too. Just a heads up. I, I know. I mean, I I anticipating that, but I also know it'll be worth the reading. Um, I mean, it was very funny while she was working on it, and it was and, and getting all the emails. Like, oh, I'm never gonna get through this. That you always hit halfway through a novel. It just feels like it's never going to end. And then somewhere after that, you've got three chapters left to do, and it's so exciting when you're that close to the end of a book because by then you're not entirely sure how it's going to end and you have to write those last few chapters to see what the climax is. So you're almost more excited than the readers will be reading it because you, you, you really sometimes, even if you had an intention, you kind of know, but you don't really know. So you've written that the end. Yeah. So that's always exciting. I want to go back to the beginning with uh, Jordan Peele's forward and uh, I'm not going to read it. Um, mm. Because his new book, <laughs> we haven't seen it. We got the galleys without it. You've got the forward. Ah, it's in print now. I got it. Where's you my hardcover copy? God damn it. <laughs> you haven't seen it. It's very, very cool. Yeah, we read it. Ah, but just, yes. Oh, I'd love to hear what he has to say. Yes. I, I'm not going to read off what he says. I'm going to say that for you guys, but for whoever's going to read it. But um, it's really good. It covers his his uh, it. Well, actually, things just get out that he talks about, but it covers how he kind of basically what led up to doing this anthology. It's really it's excellent. It's as good as you would expect it to be. Um, yeah, I kind of see him as one of those staples of of this era for uh, for horror, be it film or now books. Uh, so it's really cool to be able to talk to at least, uh, you know, two of you that are a part of this because it's a big deal. It's really cool. And uh, I'd like to start with N.K. Jemison's story. Um, and obviously, no spoilers. It's a short story, too. But I just like how that's the one that opened up the anthology. Because it's... Look, I'm the only one that's, you know, probably not going to be able to relate. Um, but I could still have a lot of empathy for that. And I didn't grow up with that stuff. But it, like... It does what good book and good books and good writing does, which is it, it bridges different walks of life 
to have empathy, understanding, love, and respect for different people. So that's why I think that was just such a great choice to to start the anthology off. Like it, it doesn't matter who you are. If you don't like that story, good luck. You know. <laughs> I always find and it also, interesting. The, oh, sorry. Go on. No, also the idea of the gaze. You know, like like we are always yeah. under yeah, the yeah, white yeah. gaze. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. That, that was cool. Yeah. She was I starting remember. to. She was starting to get into. I forget the name of the book, but like the. Hmm, don't want to spoil it. Some of the imagery reminded me of old Stephen King. Stuff, mm-hmm. One story in particular. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. So there's a lot yeah, of options. Well, I mean, Stephen raised us all, so I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, right. it's not Thanks, surprising when that influence <laughs> creeps in. When I was writing the first novel, one of the things that he would do is he would give you like a chapter explaining someone's life, their feelings, and kill them. You know, and it was like, oh! And I, I got a little carried away, so I would, I mean, someone would deliver a letter and you'd get their life story. And I realized, okay, you don't need to do that for everybody. You can just decide who you actually get to know. But um, yeah. it, I, I'm always fascinated by the arc of anthologies mm-hmm. because you, there's, a, there's a, a deliberation to that. Mm-hmm. So I like that, you know, Nicole Chesley, and I can't remember who's the last two stories but i'm like third from the last but it's like we're like the big exit <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like you've gone through all of this and now we're gonna add, bring it home and there we are right there in the last act you know i, I like to- that it's like a, a rainbow of of horror mm. like you yeah. you it subverts your expectations of what black horror is mm-hmm. to me right which actually brings me to what my second question was. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> we here, we Terrence here. Did, <laughs> Terrence did cover it in his one of his chats. He 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 mentioned it, and yeah. we're gonna circle back because you actually were on the road to my question too. So that all being said, it says right on the cover of this an anthology of new black horror. Mm-hmm. We all know Jordan Peele has transformed what Black horror traditionally was into Mm -hmm. where it is now. He has ushered in a whole new expectation of what it can be. Mm -hmm. And Terrence, you had briefly mentioned this a couple of tangents ago, I guess. (laughs) That's a little more accurate than chats, but yes. (laughs) So with regards to where we are now as far as Black horror and what the expectations are now and what the writing is now compared to maybe the 70s, the 80s, what are your thoughts on how it has changed Mm-hmm. And where do you see this direction moving from here on out? It's a huge question. <laughs> it is. <laughs> do you want um, me? To, you want to think about it for a second while I ramble for a bit? I'll let you. I've got. I, I've already thought this one out. This, I've been thinking about. This He's already time. there. I'll chime in after you finish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll give you a breather. I'll I'll try to keep it short. The bottom line is there wasn't any of the seven. 
'70s. There wasn't much in the '80s. When mm-hmm. I in the '70s, there was uh, Octavia and there was Chip, and they were doing sci-fi. There were no black horror writers that I knew of. I'm sure they were out there. Right. I didn't know. Tanana Reeve came in in the '80s, late mm-hmm. '80s, early '90s, while I was in LA. So I hadn't connected to the writers who were being published, mm-hmm. but. One of the things to, to, to jump a bit back to Jordan Peele, one of the things that I appreciate about his work is that the first film he did, he took a trope and he reworked it to a way that made it fresh. It made it new. It made it something we'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just brilliant. I mean, I remember seeing it at BAM with a full house of white people and like five black faces in the audience. And they freaking loved it. I mean, it was, it, they followed it every beat. It was, it was a beautiful experience. The second movie was like us was like, Oh, what the hell is going on here? And I, I it's like under every city in America, I, yeah. but definitely under that city, but it was, it took a few tropes, but it mostly was something different and new. And mm-hmm. then by the time he got to Nope, he was just doing what he wanted to do. And mm-hmm. what he has done is open the door to say, it's whatever you want it to be. We're not going to lock you. And the problem I've always had with the horror industry, film and print and sci-fi and all these things, it's a commercial, it's the business. So they only would publish what had sold before. So we get, 10 Saw movies, we get 500 Halloween sequels, we get all these things that they just keep regurgitating, because at some point somebody bought the first meal. And what he's done is to open the door. I love Cabin in the Woods, because it basically said we are so up to here, and all these tired tropes, the Japanese goes, the this, the that, the that, it'd be better to destroy the world and start from scratch than to keep that going. And right. that, to me, was the message of that film. And I think that's what's happened. When they started publishing Black writers, that opened the door to, to women, to gays, to transgender, everybody. So right now what we've got is an amazingly diverse field in horror from all these different voices. And what because they're different voices and because they got in, they're not saying the same thing everybody else said. Everybody's got their own voice, which is what I always love about literature over LA and Hollywood, which is everybody has to write to what the project is. Right. In fiction, you can be whoever you want to be. And what's happening now is that those voices are getting out. So I'm just seeing this being the opening of a whole fresh new world. I grew up on horror. I loved horror. And I started to hate it in the last 10 years. And suddenly I'm seeing films that are like, wow, that not just black horror, but all horror. Because yeah. even the white writers are writing new stuff. It's it's just, there's still a lot of standard exorcist stuff. There's a new exorcist movie. But this is, the the, 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 the chains have been taken off. There's a liberation in the field that there's never been before. Mm-hmm. Just just from the cover, like when I, when I actually thought there were going to be Black people. <laughs> but see, there goes Jordan, like subverting our expectations, right? I'm like, where are the Black people? It's Black horror. But I love that Jordan's saying horror, just because it's written by a Black person, does not always have to reflect the Black experience. It can be about whatever. It can be sci-fi. You know, it can be so many different things. And that was liberating to me because I write about I, I write a lot of women-centered horror mm-hmm. and I, I write about working class horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up on Stephen King, as Terrence mentioned, we all 
We all yeah, owe okay. Stephen a debt of gratitude, but he wrote working class horror. You know, yeah. it's like the horror of being poor or working at the mill and hating your job on top of seeing there's a supernatural entity in the basement, you know? And so, so that's the type of horror that speaks to me. I, I write about marginalized people. And mm -hmm. I think that this collection allows you to see that rainbow, like I said, that diversity yeah. uh, from sci-fi, African mythology, like so many different backgrounds mm -hmm. and experiences mm -hmm. coming together to tell you this is what terrifies us. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, and and it's all here. Like it's the whole range is here from the black experiences, the social aspects of everything that's happening right now. Um, there's some AI stuff in there. We won't mention that. So that's <laughs> I know, you don't want to give anything away. It's like I'm afraid to talk about anything specific because the stories what? are such wonderful little jewel boxes, what? puzzle boxes. Mm, we're just talking about relevant topics that were within <laughs> this rainbow of magical horror here, yes. um, sir. But yeah, it, it, um, it has a very wide range which is why I really enjoy just about every single story in here. I don't think I could pick a number one if I had to. I could probably pick my top five or six because there were so many that just blew me away. Mm -hmm. And I loved that I could not predict a single outcome. Bingo. I could not predict a single story. I've gotten pretty good at that over the years, being raised mm -hmm. on horror my, my entire life. And yeah, yeah. it got to that point where I could just predict the outcome. Like, I could predict the story. I knew one third of the way through where it was going to go, where it was going to lead, what this the outcome was. This is the problem that we've boring. had. That, that everything's been boring. Exactly. This was and, all and, brand new takes yep. on everything and it was just unexpected and just be beautifully done so yeah i think this one is going to do well thank you candace nicole yeah. brought up something you guys nailed it so a minute ago that was also very pertinent to this mm -hmm. which was when they gave us the initial information about what they wanted five thousand yeah. words tough that was like the that was like oh my god Getting that all to fit in 5,000 words was a great creative challenge. But they immediately said up front, it's like, Black writers, you can write about the Black experience or not. Up to you. Doesn't have to be a Black story per se. It's what you as a writer wants to do. And one of the things that I always said, because there's all these issues around identity and, and, and appropriation and all this... I was an Air Force brat. I grew up around white people. I know white culture. You know, it wasn't until 15 when I was tossed into Queens that I lived around black people uh, as a majority, as opposed to being the only one in the room. Yeah. And there were all these issues, but no matter what your environment is, your perspective changes based on who you are. Yes. My perspective of any situation I would see when I was going to my little white Catholic school, there were 17 of us. We knew because we had a club and we knew how many there were in the class of 300. But the thing that really I embraced as I was starting to write is that even if I don't have black characters in my story, I think I can represent the non-black characters well enough from knowledge. But 
what I'm saying and how I'm seeing the world is still filtered through my blackness. There's, there's no way I can really just put that aside and act like it's not there because there are experiences I've had that other writers of other backgrounds wouldn't. And that's what makes it individual. But it, it, it was like, yeah, this is going to be an anthology. The story I wrote, I never specified the race of the main character. In my head, he was black, but he could be anything. But at this, you know, Latin wife. But at the same time, the issues transcended, but it was also rooted in that because the story is inspired by the prison system and blackness. And the, mm -hmm. the, I mean, the research was horrific. I watched Ava DuVernay's 13th, you know, I mean, yes. it on and on. But yeah, I mean, it's an amazing thing that we put ourselves into whatever we write, regardless of what we're writing. And right. that's what I saw in this. There are some stories where the blackness is much more mm -hmm. crucial to the story. Some words not crucial at all, and it's peripheral. But right. it's all from that point of view of the author and their life experience. And that's right. what makes it different and new and why you can't predict the endings. You can't necessarily exactly. see where each of these writers is going because they're individuals. Oh, my God. All Black people aren't the same. They don't just write the same stuff. Oh, my God. That was the most amazing thing about this. Which just is why I liked it. Yeah, it yeah. was just such a unique read. Every single story was its own. It wasn't the same, the same, the same, the same. Every single story was a uniquely told individual story. And I absolutely loved it. So, well, thank, thank you. Thank Patrick, you. sir, jump really in. Like yeah, I really liked it. I didn't want to cut off anyone. Um, <laughs> as they're saying, really interesting <laughs> things. <editing> part out. <laughs> Uh, I, these aren't going to be any spoilers. Nicole, with your story, I thought I knew what was going to happen after I read a few pages, and I'm like, nope, don't know. And then with Terrence, I thought I knew again at one point, and then his character kind of good stories, like you think you know, and then the next few paragraphs or the next paragraph or whatever, it's like, <laughs> you don't know shit. Just read and that's what yours did. So oh, I, I feel like oh, I'm so glad to hear that because that's I'm what good. I was trying to do. Yeah, same, same. I, I was just like, oh, is oh, this I, is not where we're going. No, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Okay. Without giving anything away, but you've read the story, so you know the structure of the story. When I was writing it, it was like I'm going to create an unreliable narrator that doesn't know he's unreliable. Mm. Everything he's saying, he thinks is true, but I kept doing little peelback layers where then there's oh this is oh wait what wait what it's not what you know and by the end i just want people going holy crap that's what's oh my god and evidently yeah, it worked it <laughs> did. people read it they're like it worked well <laughs> i did not see where that was going and it's like yay i will tell you this one this one thing though um you had my i'm, I'm a dad of two like i told you guys before recording oh, 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 oh wait sorry. i didn't mention two <laughs> No, and I, I write it too. I would say with my writing, I write the adult version of Pixar movies, which is how the parents, uh, how there's only one parent, or in my stories, how the child is in, ex in existence. So, like with parental stories, I, I get that's my thing that I grasp onto. And, um, uh, you actually got a physical reaction, like my chest kind of tightened. So, thank wow. you for that. I no, wanted a gut punch reaction to that I like story. that. I like yeah. that as a reader because it makes me 
experience it in a fictional world as opposed to real life and and in my mind like i'm sure yours uh, everyone here my mind goes to the worst case scenario just on externally oh. try not to relay that to people around me so they want to be around me <laughs> um just to throw this out there not that i'm all that into sports or boxing or anything but terrence with your story <laughs> You hit us with an uppercut followed by a knockout. It was just like a one kick punch. Oh my God, you're making me so happy. Because there were two moments that were just like heart wrenching and just completely took you out of the game, not out of the story, but it just threw you off the rails and it just hit you right in the feels, not once, but twice. And you just finished people with that. That's the right. one-two punch. Well done, sir. Because... I took it to my, my crit group, and and one of the writers, I particularly love her notes. And after the group meeting and everything, she said, you know, that that last part is good. You you need to make it more excruciating. That's you right. need to, like, detail that and not yeah. just blow that through that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could really screw them up, couldn't I? Oh, you did. It, it, it was the note that fine. That was the last element that I needed was to just that climax to just pull it out the way I did. But uh, but you're saying things that thrill me because that's exactly the effect I wanted it to have, and it's great to hear that I managed it because it means I actually know what I'm doing. <laughs> I deposited the check by phone, and I take it over a the base of a picture that's over my writing desk. So every time I sort of have lack of faith in myself, I look up and see those numbers and it's like, no, Jordan Peele thinks I know what I'm doing. So, Yes, that is no. the validation. Yeah. Neil yeah. Gaiman. That's a huge va- validation. Yeah, for sure. Truman Capone was once asked if any editors or anything ever gave him encouragement in his writing. And his answer was, I... I'm always encouraged when people pay me to write, basically. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's that's really validating when people actually give you money for what you're doing. It's not required, but it's validating. It's awesome. When you it pay is. For that. I was going to say Neil Gaiman, I saw him post this, I don't know, a few years ago, saying that he even gets, you know, when he starts a new book. Not sure. Kind of feel new. That sort of deal. I'm definitely mm-hmm. paraphrasing. Um, he is very smart, so... I am not going to be able to verbatim say what he says, but uh, Nicole, I'd like to talk about your story, obviously spoiler free. Um, I know it's going to be tough with short stories, but with yours, I'm really curious why. Um, hmm, how do I word this? I wish I wrote this down, but how, <laughs> how did you concoct the, fr- the framing of the story? Like, I, I just want to know, the emotions and if there was research or if it was maybe some personal experience, like how, when you hit them, cause we all hit that moment when we're writing the first draft and we're like, that's it. And Terrence was talking about, you got three chapters left or whatever. And, and you're kind of figuring out the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you know, that moment when you're like, this is the driving force of the story. Yeah. 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 I want, I want to know that point with you, Nicole, cause yours is really interesting. And um, I want to say why, but it would spoil it. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Just, <laughs> well, <laughs> when I was racking my brain to come up with this story for the anthology, I kept seeing um, a black woman and a white woman hmm. on opposite sides of a freeway and drivers coming by and reacting to the women. 
Mm. And so I got the idea mm. like, oh, they're they're dead. But they're but the drivers are still reacting to them. Mm. You know, so so the white undead girl still has a certain level of privilege. And so I wanted to know like what that feels like. So mm. it started off as just seeing these two girls on opposite sides of a road and you know how drivers were reacting to them so that was like the genesis of the story Hmm. but then i felt the girl had a strong relationship with her father and a lot of times we don't see like black women black girls having strong relationships with their dad and so it was important to show that and that as a ghost that was something that she missed Hmm. um so that's how that framing came about. And yeah. also, like, I wanted, I'd never written a ghost story, and I wanted to write a different kind of ghost story. My God. Oh, you, just made, you just made me realize why she has an affection towards another secondary character. I don't, I'm slow. No, nope, no, nope, but I was just thinking the exact same thing. It's like, oh, <laughs> Holy shit. I yeah. just grew a new, not that I, I just really like your story too. I just grew a deeper fondness for that. That's why I love doing this podcast because we get to figure out behind the scenes. Go ahead. See, I kind of picked up on that too, but now I have another question that I'm going to have to ask after we're done recording because I don't want to spoil anything. So remind me because I do have another question for you. I just want to know. I'm writing it down, Candace. But for those of you listening, you're just going to have to read it and find out because it's fantastic. I'm just saying. (laughs) <laughs> I love the, the 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 time shifts, which were throwing me at first, and it was like because they, they weren't mm-hmm. necessarily sequential, and it was like, well, wait, did this? Did, yeah. did he? But you know, you just keep going, and it falls into place, and it was like, ah, that that the little hashtags were throwing me too. It was like, <laughs> oh, body count. Okay, okay, I get it, I get it. Yeah, but I like. That. But see, like that's this, that's my whole process about taking risk as a writer. Like, you always wonder. How are people going to perceive this, right? Yep. But I think the biggest fear for me is just to work through that yep. and try to. I'm the first. I'm the first reader, so does it make sense to me? You know, and so trying to make it make sense in my head, yep. so that you know, I can hopefully, hopefully, the reader it will make sense to the reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I always it say the writer is the yeah. first reader. You know, we are the first ones to like experience it. If we can improve that experience for other readers, so much the better. Mm. Yeah, the anthologies are really like there's I don't know what type of anthologies y'all like, but like in our in Candace and my circle, there's a lot. There's a lot of anthologies out there. So they really get a stand out to like, you know, yeah. be be worth your time. I mean, it is what it is, you know. It, it's mm-hmm. every book's not for everyone, but like there's so many out there. But with this yeah. one. And not even because Jordan Peele obviously makes it amazing, but like even if he wasn't in this and it was obviously all you guys still, it'd still just be incredible. And um I I'm wondering if if this is one of those projects where you guys feel like that could be something that you could maybe not brag about, but just be really happy about for like ever i guess because there are projects <laughs> that we all have i mean you're you're working with yes. and you're working with groups of people you love and respect <laughs> like that's for new writers i want to make this clear that's not usually common so mm-hmm. i want to hear from I, you two about that i can i just say real quick 
that I what I appreciate about Jordan is that he did include established writers and emerging writers. Yep. And he yep. could have just hit just had all like the heavy hitters that people are, are household names. And the fact that he mixed it up, um, I just have like a real deep appreciation for him and John Joseph Adams for um this diverse, you know, collection of, of writers. It's I, I agree. I mean, I mean the range adjusted. Pete is is was in my mm -hmm. writing group in New York till he moved to LA with his wife to to go into practice, and I, I was teasing him on Facebook when he was talking about going. Okay, stop. You're you've got a successful career as a psychologist. You got a happy family. You got a novel coming out. You got a short story, and now this it's like, dude. And then he put up footage of the reading at Book Soup, and it's like, and you're built. That's so wrong. You know yes. how you're making writers who spend their days at their desks feel. You've got to just dial it down somewhere, dude. You're just winning too much right now. <laughs> but it was like I watched his work grow over the two years before he like left for LA, and 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 that story was just like I I think he had done a mention of the inspiration for it. He'd come up with the idea at one of the conventions. In a panel, they were asking him questions about things, and he thought up. He he threw out a line that became the. And someone was like, "You should write that story," and he did, and it it worked beautifully. It's like I'm actually a little bit jealous of how good he got in the last two years. It's like ah, but I've also improved, so I'm not complaining. And it's good. So yes, um, we're going to carry a copy of the book around. It's like Jamie Foxx said when he won the Oscar for Ray, he like carried his Oscar to the club. He's <laughs> like wherever he went. <laughs> I would put it on chain around my neck if I had an Oscar. <laughs> I put the uh, book cover on this lock screen of my iPad. So when I open the iPad, there it is looking at me every day. Yeah. You it's can get a um a little magnet made, keychain made, and wear that. You could be like this is my <laughs> T-shirt of honor right here. That's right. And then get the T-shirt and, and just wear the book. The like I think, cover. because well, I would do that. I think for at least a year. So <laughs> I'm in this. I'm, I'm in this. That's. I mean, it's definitely as bragging rights. And the thing is. To go back to what you were asking, yes, in in the immediacy of it, it's like, oh my god, I got into this. I, I, it's like feeling like I got into an exclusive club. You're a member now of this right. club, but more than that, it's it's to, to me there was a sense of being part of a legacy. I mean, being in the first three yeah. Dark Dreams anthologies that Brandon Massey, one of the few writers who was in all three, and then to follow up. 20, almost 20 years later, or yeah. you know, with this, it, it just cemented me as part of what I saw as a growing movement that was really beginning at the time I came back to New York. So the excitement for me of, of meeting these people over the last 20 odd years, of, of becoming a part of this group, of watching everybody rise, I mean, watching Nora become Nora, NK. Yeah, was she's one of the biggest writers in the world. <laughs> It was it was an amazing thing, but but she wasn't the only one. There were all these other writers around me that I just watched climbing up, you know, in terms of their own personal work. It wasn't ambition, it was art. It was it was yeah. that they all wanted to be better writers. And the ones who did what we've done were the ones who made that their priority, the writing and not the result of the writing. Right. You, know, you, you don't do it to get famous, you don't do it to get rich, you do it because you love it and exactly. you can do it better every time you do it and the two stories 
They put I, I'm going back to the rewrite of the third novel is going to be amazing because I'm in such a new space with it. Yeah. That is, like you said, Terrence, the goal is to just put meaningful work into the world and to grow as a writer. Yeah. 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 And this is like something that years from now, people will go back and see these collections and, and oh, yeah. still be able to appreciate the work. I, I think the stories mm -hmm. are relatively timeless. They are, they're not stories yeah. that are anytime Absolutely. soon. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. they're, they're universal for sure. But yeah. Absolutely. And I got to thank Jordan for doing it. I mean, Jordan Peele could have... Not to kiss ass, <laughs> but he's the arc of what he's done is amazing. He could have done Get Out Three by now. He didn't. Yeah. He went something new. He was like, "That's one story." Because really, at the end, I'm waiting for the Netflix series where the two of them are out tracking down the other people who are black brains and white bodies. Yeah, white brains and black bodies. Because they made it clear there was a whole organization of these mm -hmm. guys, and it was like that's the Netflix series. They tracked them all down, but. It's just this amazing sort of arc where he's just kept trying something new each time. And the luxury of being in a position where your name can allow you to keep trying new things. That's Absolutely. the blessing for him and, and having him in the world. He's just opened up that possibility to all of us because he's sharing that. He's like, look over here. Look over here. Look at these people. Look at these people. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just opening a door that, is wider now than it's ever been because of this. It's going to get so much more attention than some of the other anthologies. And it yeah. makes people think about it. it. makes people go look for the rest of the work because it's yeah. amazing. The work out there was amazing. When I was yeah. growing up, I, I would watch Mad TV and, uh, you know, uh, Jordan Peele. And, and, uh, and then they came out with a uh, Peele and um, uh, I've Steve. forgotten. He, I, I haven't seen Mad TV. I didn't realize he was on that. I don't remember. Yeah. That's where I first became a fan of him. Was his comedy? Uh, well, so weird now. Key and Peele. Key and Peele. Key and Peele. Yeah, that shows. When, funny when, when I heard he was going to make a movie, Key and Peele was one of those brilliant comedy shows. Every episode, they were just pushing the limits and going yeah. out there and in places. It was like, I mean, it was it was the Monty Python of America. It was that level of variety and and smart. And when it stopped, there was like, oh, yeah. there's a lot I haven't seen the last season. But when I saw where he was going to Twilight Zone to, to get out and everything, it was like, ooh, somebody has some interest that we haven't seen before. And that's good for us because it means he's going to be giving us. I love horror, but I hated it for the last decade because it's just been, like you say, the exact same thing over and over. Yeah. Predictable endings. I mean, if. I can't tell you the number of movies I've watched the first 10 minutes and I can just tell you what's going to happen. Series of our, our, you know, orchestrated deaths in various ways. And then we find out why it's all happening. And it's going to be because either their mom died or their dad died or the and they're avenging them. And it's like, and it's just been so predictable. And yeah. finally I'm seeing movies made by all races, all backgrounds yeah. that are unpredictable. I mean, we, we've gotten to a level of originality with horror that we haven't had since the beginning days of it. So I'm yeah. thrilled. It gives me much. I've been binging on Alter Horror and Scream Fest, like the little indie horrors, not little, but like the 10, five, 10 minute horrors, like what they can do on a micro budget puts Hollywood yeah. to shame, like the creativity, like the arc of the story, like how are they doing that for $5,000 and you have 50 million and you can't replicate that level of horror and, you know, high production values that make you think. So and the low cost I do miss watch indie, indie horror, a lot of indie horror. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Show, show. I, I love the fact that the digital technology has made it possible to make really good quality movies very cheap. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've been I, I've been just the last three years I've canceled cable. I'm just streaming and finding things online. Yeah. But I agree. There's some little indie movies out there that probably have nothing budgets that are brilliantly clever. You know, The Void, I loved and I'm waiting for the sequel. They financed that on Kickstarter. And I watched that. It was like, okay, weird cultist movie, but where the hell is this going? You know, but there's just the Baba Duke, you know. Yes. yes. Um, 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 hereditary. Oh my God. The most terrifying moment in Hereditary is there's a scene where the mom is like in the barn and the, the son's running out and he looks up and she's like attached to the ceiling. And she's <laughs> got one of those saws that's like a, a blade that's a thin wire. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and she's got it around her neck and she's going like yeah, this. That was and watching her sawing her head off and he runs out. But what they do is classic Hitchcock. As he's going out the door, you hear the head drop on the floor behind yeah. him. Yeah. And it's so much more horrifying than watching the effect of her head coming off. It was just like, oh, in my head, I see that. I don't want to know. <laughs> and it's just, there's just some brilliant psychological stuff being done. Because you got the boys at one end where it's like every blood drop. I mean, heads exploding. It's all digital. It's just so graphic. It's like saw. You know, it's like, I know what the human body is. I don't need to see it being taken apart. But when they play with your head, that's the stories I love. Mm -hmm. Where where they get in there and they find the switches and they just start flipping them. And talking about indie horrors, shout out to my friend Jed Shepard, who hosts crushed it in 2020 that has some creepy shit in it and they do a lot of psychological horror and now his friend rob savage is doing huge things he's he just came up with the boogeyman stephen king's you know short story um and they started out with independent you know films and uh it's based on because there's a new boogeyman movie that's what the new one is based on the stephen king story yeah his short his short story i think it came out in a bad trilogy called the boogeyman which by the end was the brother was a psycho yeah no i i watched that as a kid uh the 2003 something like that yeah yeah darkness falls was another one i really liked the creepy that was yeah very um (laughs) jeez I can't. I, actually, I, actually, I, I don't think I got through the tooth fairy. It's like, oh, it's creepy. It's absolutely creepy. Yeah. yeah, I can't. I forgot about that one. That creep. Uh, I'm getting creeped out. I'm in my basement by myself, so I will move on. Um, <laughs> What's that behind you? No, it's blurred for a reason. <laughs> Case you want to go to what are you reading? What are we reading? Are you asking me or did you ever ask? I mean, you just asked a question. What are we no, reading? No, I know that, but I'm asking you. Do you what am I reading right no. now? Okay, we can do that. But I was just saying, do you want that to be the next question? <laughs> well, we're all confused now, so I'm just going to tell you what I'm reading. And then we're going to ask our lovely guest. <laughs> we'll reading, the and then we'll go from there. <laughs> I'm all confused. But at the moment, I'm reading Beaver House by mm-hmm. Keith. Rawson, brand new one. So I'm reading that right now. I just finished a couple other indie horror books. Um, White Trash and Recycled Nightmares I just finished last week by Rebecca Rowland, and it was fantastic. What was um, the title? 
white trash and recycled nightmares. It is a collection of 20 short stories, I believe. And it's got everything. It, it's it's got mm -hmm. monsters and murders and mayhem and it was re really good. And I'm looking forward to this one. And of course, I just got done reading Out and Screaming featuring the two of you. It's fantastic. So anyone yeah, who was watching yeah. this you need this. You need this. I don't care what walk of life you are from. You need this because it is absolutely fantastic. So with that being said, Nicole, ma'am, what are you reading? Um, currently reading Ashan Ruffin's um, Descent of a Broken Man. Yeah, that was so good. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. I, I okay. was just speaking to him before we got on the podcast. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm reading that currently. Yeah. Um, Kenya Moss Dimes, Daymares, Samiko Slauson, uh, things that go bump in my head. Yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, black woman horror. Nice, nice, nice. Have you read the other black woman? Because I just got, I mean, the other black girl. I, I saw just the got... Hulu. I didn't read it, but I saw the. I binge watched the series on Hulu. Hmm. Yeah, very. I saw that listed. I have to go look look at that. Because... I just. Bought the audiobook. No, hmm? I'm sorry. What and did you the say? Changeling. I'm binge watching the Changeling too. The Changeling nice. is on my list. That's next moving because, a little slow yeah. for me. I've got to, because I, I love the lead actor. Yes, I love I watched the first episode and it's like, uh, uh, and the second is like, she's not changed yet. What is she being? I mean, yeah. is she a fairy baby? So I've got to go back to it, <laughs> just be patient and let it build. But I, occasionally, with series, they they drag this. They, they have an hour and a half of story. They drag out for six hours. Yeah. So it's like uh, what I'm really looking forward to once I get this light that's installed off is to watch um, season two, first episode Loki, because I love the first season and I mm. was like, yes, finally it's dropped. I am reading this anthology because I'm working my way through. And that's a delight. And then afterwards, I'm going to read the other anthology. I'm in the, uh, David Neal Wilson did a anthology called Canterbury Nightmares. And the idea was that six people meet at a motel near the Grand Canyon and talk about the last year that they've spent on lockdown. And um, I came up with the most perverse story I've ever written and felt completely free. And he was like, make it as long as you want. There's only going to be six stories. In the end, there were 11 but I still got to write the story out as long as I wanted it. And it was just, again, like this story, it was just like, okay, this is a year where I became a better writer because these two stories are astound even me that I did them. So um, after that, I have to start looking for things. I had to stop doing the review column because I literally just didn't have, I had so many projects going on right now. I'm writing a mid-grade sci-fi novel. I'm doing a rewrite mm -hmm. on Then I've got the documentary I want to cut off. So I just didn't have time to read eight books a year, which is ridiculous, mm -hmm. but it's not just reading them. It's also writing 2,500 words about the two of them. So I grew enormously in my nonfiction writing, working with Wendy uh, Wagner, who's just mm. an amazing editor. I can't sing her praises more highly. She's, she's a super nice person. No. Man. Oh my! Oh, she's so nice. She's yeah. so nice. Yeah, I right. love her so much. <laughs> and I just, you know, worked with her email. But she would just, she, what she was really good at was seeing what you were trying to do and then telling you why you didn't do that. And then letting you figure out how to do it right. And she just brought my writing level up 
over that five years to an amazing degree to the point where when I when I wrote the column saying that I was stopping the column, she told me, oh, my God, she said the copy editor of the magazine, like read that column. And she started she said she started crying because she enjoyed your column so much. Wow. And now it's, it's going to be gone. And I was like, I don't even know if anyone's reading it. I'm so glad to know someone actually cared that much. Uh-huh. But awesome. uh, but yeah, it's it's just I've got to make time to read. I, I'm too much of a pop culture junkie and I'll binge a series in front of the TV. I've got like a big screen 4K projector I've been Ooh. living through lockdown on. So I sit in this hanging chair with a 110 inch screen in front of me with Holy 4K crap. imagery. And it's like, oh yeah, this is what Marvel movies should be. <laughs> so That's amazing. Yeah, uh, oh God. It got me through the last three years, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> I have finished up this uh, anthology out there screaming. It's great for all the reasons we talked about. Telling you, we only talked. I think about not. We didn't even touch on half of the stories. So whoever's listening to this and this entices you, buy the book now. (laughs) Yes, I'm looking forward to the rest. I'm still not even halfway through it. I only got about four stories in before I jumped to hours. And but it's like, oh, I'm so looking forward to the rest of it because mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, the ride so far has been amazing. And each one is so different. I mean, this is the thing. And at Hollywood, you get a job in a series, they want you to write in the voice of the series. Every writer writes like whatever they're working on. And when I came back to New York and got into literary literary writing, writing fiction in print, I realized that no two writers are gonna do the same idea in the same way. So I'm doing a time travel story. You don't have to worry that your buddy's writing a time. They're not going to write the same time travel story you do. Every writer I've ever met has their own take. And you could give them, this is a perfect example. They gave us all the same instruction. And this is what happened. We went off in 20 different directions. And And it's just, the results are amazing to me. Talking about time travel, uh, I just that made me think of my my favorite Stephen King book is eleven twenty two sixty three, and well, I'll just say this, and it's it doesn't spoil it. His method of time travel, it's really silly. But I, well, what was it? You want me to tell you? Yeah, I, I mean, it won't ruin the book for me. No, I don't think it will. So there's this one specific spot. I think it's in a diner, um, where he just. I believe it's like some kind of a closet sort of deal. I read this about five or six years ago and he just keeps walking, walks down these stairs that don't appear to be there uh, to your eye. Hmm. Keeps walking until he walks into the past. And it's always that specific. Like if you go back to the present that particular moment in the past, the same moment. You, yeah. It repeats that same moment. But if you stay in the past, you have no, there's no expiration date. And and they do a what if JFK didn't die scenario, how that would look yeah. nowadays. And it is when I read that, that was pre-Trump. And I said, that's terrifying. No, wait, was it pre-Trump? I think it was. Oh, if God. not, it was early days Trump. But it was still it was still at the point where I was like, that would be terrifying. Nowadays, I'm like, oh, my God, that is terrifying. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how hard it was to write horror for those four years. I bet. 
because anything you could come up with, the reality of the world at that point was so much more horrific than anything yeah. you could think of. It was just That's like, why Black Horror took a hiatus. They said real life is just scary enough. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, you had to, like, kind of deal with that before you could go back to making anything up because it, you, the processing all of that. When yeah. It got to the point of January 6th. I just sat there watching it going, well, it was fun till the apocalypse started. Yeah, right. Good run. If it ends in the next few years, I guess I can accept that. That democracy is dead and we're just being controlled by lunatics now. So it makes so me wonder of American politics right now. It makes me wonder if like other plagues in the past, if, if people were this stupid, you know, um, <laughs> because some believe the earth is flat and they're using devices that would prove that wrong while there's people saying all those dying it's not that it's right in front of us how the funny uh, thing is I don't get I it. something the other day where they were they they somebody decided they were going to go check covid deaths versus voting registries okay and the republicans who are pushing that oh this is all made up and don't take it seriously and we don't want to do lockdown or masks 43 percent more of them died than us makes sense and i was like but the thing is, I was going, do you not understand you're killing your base? That the more these people die, the fewer voters you actually have? So maybe you don't want to encourage them to just go out there and get infected with a lethal disease? Yeah. But no, they didn't care. They just did yeah. what they are going to do, and they wiped out. I, I mean, it's the only thing that gives me hope for this election is that the young people are re-engaging because they grew up during eight years of Obama thinking it was fine. And now they're all like, holy crap, what the hell's going on? And the fact that the Republican right extremists murdered most of their supporters because they just threw them out of there to die, you know? It's wild. It's a, it's do you want to, do you guys want to hear a wild thing that's super real? And I'll say it sarcastically that my mom. My pool's afraid to ask. January 6th, the one woman that got shot and died. Yeah. My mom was telling me about um, my sister her one of her girlfriends that moved to the west coast in like san diego or san francisco i mix them up all the time i i've never been there so i guess that's why but anyways uh she was in a thruple and the the wife was the one that got shot and died at the january 6 attack and the fucked up part is is my sister's friend and the husband didn't know that she was that like batshit loony like it, it makes me wonder knowing that one story like I can imagine I don't have a wife like this and my, I'm not like this, but I can't imagine thinking my partner is one way. And then you're like, don't know how to react to that. How, are, so, how would you, I mean, how are you in a relationship with two other people and they don't, and, and you're not that open that yeah. they know what your beliefs are. I mean, that's the, the weirdest part of that for me. But how I don't do you know. get a relationship with two other people and you support, support a party that frowns upon your relationship? Yeah, right. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, you cannot come out to your party that you were in this rough Thank you. Whether it's like, two guys or two women she's involved with, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think of that. Like, do you not understand that the people you're supporting would yeah. basically lynch you if they had the chance? Right. Like, I've it's, never talked about this publicly because it's it's super embarrassing, but like I have nothing to do with it. But like yeah. I feel bad for my sister's friend. So 
I don't know. Like she's the only person to die during that fucked up attack, which obviously is a terrorist attack. It's yeah. not yeah. when they say it wasn't, but I'm getting we're getting way off track. So the next book I'm reading well, is still on horror. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just a different kind. Real life horror. <laughs> the next book, because I'll I'll end up like you, Terrence. I will talk about a lot of stuff and I don't want to distract you guys with my stuff. I know Kansas so. and I are just chilling here. Yeah. <laughs> I know they'll pull us back and they'll rain us in. Candace, Candace has me all the time. Um, dark, yeah, Disa- <laughs> dark Disasters, a Dark Dozen Anthology is the next book I'm reading. It is uh, Candace's book that she uh, is editing. Um, her first two, for those that don't know, because I don't think she's very modest, I don't think she'll say this. First two, well, the first two of three won a Splatterpunk Award, and that's pretty awesome. Very, nice. She's good. She's good at what she does, and I'm very honored and proud to say that is my first anthology I'm forwarding. So definitely check that out. We will have a panel of that. I will check that out. <laughs> yeah, she kicks ass. So, um, Candace, do you so want to? So, all take- that being said, thanks for embarrassing me there, Patrick. Anyway, <laughs> I know you won't talk about it, so I will. I, I don't talk about it much, but we're not here to talk about me. We are here to talk about our lovely guest here. But yes. since you mentioned it, yeah, uh-huh. you can. Um, Find me and all of my um, links in work at uncomfortablydark.com. <laughs> that is me. It. That's the name of it because I'm always uncomfortable and I write dark fiction. So <laughs> uncomfortablydark.com. That is me. You'll find everything about me there. Um, if you go to Linktree or just type in uncomfortably dark, you will find all of my stuff there. So, Nicole, where can we find you? I'm Nicole Sconiers. That's S-C-O-N-I-E-R-S dot com. And I'm also Nicole D. Sconiers on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Mr. Terrence, sir. Uh, I, I always say I don't have time to write that much on spec. So I don't do a lot of social media, but I do have uh, a website, which is Either do you believe in vampires.com or terrencetaylor.com, both linked to the same site. <laughs> but I've actually got to update it because there's, I've got to, I was like, oh, the book is out. I haven't updated my site yet. And I do have a, um, I guess it's X now, a Twitter stream called uh, Advanced Testaments. Um, but I, I never post, but so, <laughs> but there is a vampire testaments uh, page, vamp testaments on Facebook, which I post information on what's going on. So, but uh, though, so turnsailor.com or vamp testaments on Facebook. All right. And Patrick. Uh, we're going to go to final thoughts and then say goodnight. So uh, All right. Terrence, let's start with you. Final thoughts on absolutely anything. Well, you know, the, the, the really, the final thought is that when I came back to New York to do what I wanted to do, and it succeeded, I mean, to me, beyond my wildest dreams, because it made me the writer I wanted to be. If I make more money off it, great. But but I did a thing that I wanted to do late in life. I was motivated by not wanting to wait and then regretted 70, never having tried. And it's like, if the book sucks and it can't sell, then it sucks and I stopped doing that. But if, it, if I'm published by 50, I said... I will keep going. And at 50, I had a birthday party with the first Dark Dreams anthology with a story in it. And it was the beginning of of just this amazing movement that I watched growing over the last 20 years of just infinite variety of of 
writers in so many different backgrounds and so many voices that are just giving me back a genre that I love and that had gotten stagnant. Mm. And it's now been revitalized by new blood, no pun intended, but it's exciting as anything. That's my last word. I'm watching a new renaissance of horror that is going to change everything moving forward. And we just, I, to the end of my life, I'll be able to enjoy movies and books again. That's awesome. Uh, Nicole, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Black stories matter. Black writers matter. Black voices matter. You check us out. Yeah. Out there screaming. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and none of us want to expect. It's all <laughs> new and unexpected. You'll know. I, I do yeah. want to say that once I did sit down and really start to take myself seriously as a writer, like writing every day and just believing that I could have a career as a writer, then things started taking off for me. So just keep hustling, keep writing, keep reading and keep believing that your stories matter. Yeah. Uh, And knowing that your voice matters, your individual voice is important to the conversation. Before we go to you, Candice, yeah, I just wanted to say like the, the two of you have offered a lot of great advice. Like when I started writing, seriously like 10 years ago with the mindset of i want to write novels and stuff there weren't a lot of shows like this to listen to there are now you know there's more than enough and uh this is the type of advice that i would really hook my teeth into so i appreciate um apparently i'm doing my final thoughts i didn't even mean to do this sorry candace um i appreciate you two being on here you both are super nice and lovely people and your stories are really just they're kind of fucked up, but that's exactly what I love. I say that in a complimentary way. I hope Don't you take it that way because horror's fucked up. What happens to your characters is absolutely terrible. Um, Terrence almost made my chest tighten too hard today. <laughs> His story. Uh, I just, I, I think this is an excellent book to pick up. And like you said earlier, Terrence, that it's going to be something that does stand the test of time um yeah. it's, it's just one of those books yeah candace um final thoughts i think i have run the course as as final thoughts go um i would like to congratulate the two of you on your inclusion into something just so absolutely amazing as this thank you um congrats of course to everyone involved because it is absolutely amazing from page one to the very last page Mm -hmm. um also of course thank you for your time we have kept you for a nice long hour and a half here tonight and we appreciate it very Mm -hmm. much and final thoughts um i think um horror itself right now is in a great place i think the time is amazing for black authors as well as every other voice out there that has never had the type of chances that we have now to speak yeah to be heard the inclusion right now is unlike anything that we have ever had. Yeah. And I think it's just absolutely amazing. And the horror coming out of those voices, all of them, all walks of life, all genders, all identities, all cultures, there's so many incredible things that is 
her being told, read it, find it, look for it. It's out there. There's so many new authors right now that deserve to be heard and that are doing amazing things. So just, you know, find it. It's out. It's out there. And there's just more and more and more on the way. Yep. So those are my final thoughts. Yeah. I'm all done here. Pat and Candace, it was a great conversation. Thank you for having us. Yep. Thank you very yeah. welcome. And the basic last thing I would say to anyone who's, who's beginning to write and, and concerned is, trust me, there's a lot of bad writing you have to do before you get to the good stuff. Mm -hmm. But you have to write your way through the bad stuff. And mm -hmm. at a certain point, if you know it's bad, you know why it's bad and you know how to mm -hmm. fix it. And that's what that's what kept me going, realizing I could edit my own work and I could see it objectively when it was done. Yeah. And that if it sucked, I could fix it. And yeah. you just got to write your way to that point. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Um, as always, you have many choices in podcasts. Tell all your writer friends and writer friends about this episode. This one's great. Thank you for picking us, everybody. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.